Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Sid Garza-Hillman talking about his book, Raising Healthy Parents, Small Steps, Less Stress, and a Thriving Family. Exercise and nutrition are very important, but today's guest, Sid Garza-Hillman, says stress is the most critical thing. He's a nutritionist, so we're going to talk about how to eat better, how to feed your kids better, but underlying everything that we're going to be discussing is the issue of stress and how you deal with it. We're going to see why your success as a parent hinges on your ability to steal moments of recovery throughout your day. We're going to learn the key to adaptive stress. We're going to see why the idea of doing everything in moderation is very misguided. We're going to walk through a better way to think about food, calories, and nutrients, and why Sid says we should think about food like a gift. Finally, we're going to cover a bunch of the most frequently asked questions that Sid receives from parents about the health of them and their families. Things like, I'm concerned my child eats differently than other kids, I don't want him to be self-conscious, and what to do if you're interested in raising healthier kids, but your spouse does not seem to be on board. All of this and much more is coming up on the show today. Sid, thank you so much for being here. This book is Raising Healthy Parents, Small Steps, Less Stress, and a Thriving Family. So what got you interested in health and families and kind of how those things can come together. Yeah. Well, the, the kind of, I guess, shorter story, but when I started practicing as a health coach, nutritionist and things like that, a lot of the, um, well, first before even the family thing, um, in the beginning, you know, giving somebody recommendations about food and finding that most, if not all of my clients, most were not following it past about one or two months. They, they would start off really excited like they would with any other diet and then burn out and go back to the old ways of doing things. And yeah. so that's where I crafted my small steps approach, you know, about 12 years ago to really figure out, well, what is it? Is it, is it because they don't know enough? No, they know how to eat healthy now. Why aren't they not sticking with it? And that became an issue of stress. It became an issue of, of how to uh, establish healthy habits. But as I started to then coach people in my small steps approach, most of my clients still to this day are parents. And it's not that they don't love their kids. They do. We all do. But it's a source of stress. Raising a healthy family, yeah. raising a successful, having a successful marriage takes hard work and it's stressful. So what I found is that I was coaching these people to, they came to me to be healthier. I'm not a, I'm not a, a family therapist. I'm not coaching them how to talk to their kids. However, 
I realized that a source of their stress was the family and that when they were not behaving the way that they wanted to behave as a parent, it wasn't because they didn't know how to, it was because they were under too much stress and not healthy and feeling good enough to be able to implement their style of parenting. So my next book, my first book was called Approaching the Natural Health Manifesto, which is really about my small steps approach and how food, you know, food is one part, but there's a, it's, you know, health is a big, way bigger picture than food. But I realized there was a there was an element in the parenting world. And I'm a, I'm a father of three kids. Um, there was a big hole in the parenting world, which is every book I read to research my own book, Raising Healthy Parents, was about parenting. And I was trying to get a sense of like what was out there. And it was all like, okay, well, if you have problems with your kid, you know, sit them down and do this, 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 and this. And I was like, well, that's rich because that's exactly the same as me saying, if you want to eat healthier, just eat these things. Yeah, right. But the same hole existed, which was how do you create an environment where somebody feels good enough most days to pull that off mm. if somebody's stress is managed where they can do the recommendations of the book just like if somebody's stress is, man is managed they can eat the way that i recommend so it becomes all about stress so i realize raising healthy parents it's like parents have to pay attention to themselves they cannot put themselves in the back burner they have got to figure out a way to manage their own stress and to be healthy and happy and we can get more into that, but one is so they can parent how they want. And two is so they can set a good example for their kids. It seems like parenting is almost synonymous with putting yourself on the back burner. Like that's just what you do as a parent. You um, sacrifice and put the needs of everybody else above yourself. And so, yeah, we kind of have, I think this, we don't even question it or something um, because it, it's part of just how we view parenting. Yeah. And I think that's, a, I, I frankly think that's unnatural. I think it's unnatural. I, I, I think it's anti-human to put yourself on the back burner. The body certainly doesn't. The body is trying to, you know, your body right now is doing trillions of things to make itself as happy and, and energetic as possible to survive and to propagate the species. That's what we do. We're a selfish, we're a selfish mechanism. Yeah. I only apply that philosophically to simply say, well, I think our minds are that way too. We are looking for happiness. That's in theory why we even have a family mm -hmm. and a marriage, let's say, is because yeah. it's a deeper existence. It's a fulfilling existence. But that doesn't mean, in fact, it means the opposite of that we put ourselves in the back. We're doing it to make ourselves happy. So why wouldn't we try to be the best versions of ourselves we, as we can? Yeah, right. When we put ourselves in the back burner, we're never the parents we want to be. We're never the people <laughs> we want to be. So yeah. nobody in our lives gets the benefit of the best version of us if yeah. we put ourselves on the back burner. Right. So it, it's teaching people, no, take that power back. Mm. Of course, you can't make yourself all about you. Of course not. That's not that's not reasonable either. But you have to do a measured amount and a substantial amount of self-care to be the person that you want to be. And that includes how, the, how you want to parent. I think that's cool. You say that it's unnatural. And I think you're right, because when I think about it in nature, it's like, you know, you, you kind of raise your kids for about three years until they just kind of are enough to be on their own. And then you're like, okay, dig, go take care of yourself and you move on to your next kid. Um, and yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, we, we would never be um, in caught in this sort of um, place that we find ourselves in now as parents. So yep. it is unnatural. Yep. It's weird. And we have to kind of figure out how to uh, sort of navigate it. Yeah, self care is a a self care is a natural thing. You know, you, look, we we have to battle against you know around junk food in the modern world, but in nature we wouldn't battle. Yeah. Wouldn't we we would walk around and find food, and it's all natural. So 
it, that's a natural state of being. Health is a natural state of being. Happiness is a natural state of being. We, our bi- minds and bodies don't like when we stray away from that that baseline of health and happiness. And so the body reacts with physical issues. The mind reacts with stress. And, and we try our best to get back to that. And that, and that, by the way, is kind of like the model of why junk food is so effective as a, as a stress relief, because in the modern world, like we can, we have drugs and junk foods, one of those drugs, we have ability to quickly get ourselves out of the stress mode, not for real, but back out of the stress mode, because we're so stressed as parents at the end of the day, we're exhausted. And and so what better than a glass of wine? Well, I understand that I get been there but it's not a healthy model. So what I'm, what I instead am trying to do is, you know, have your glass of wine, but if you don't address the you of the equation, you're going to need that wine a lot more than is healthy. And if you do address the you, then it can be a treat, but all in all your stress is managed where you can be more effective. So you talk about something called making the trade. What is making the trade? Well, oftentimes when I coach people, I my the sort of mantra I use lately is is mind first, body second. So a lot of my clients come to me because they want to let lose weight, let's say, or whatever. And if you dive into a diet and a diet says, okay, well, don't eat these things, eat these things, it can easily fall into a restrictive model. In fact, when yeah. I I cured myself of asthma when I was 23 and I, I didn't make it up. I read a book and it made a correlation between dairy and asthma and I gave up dairy and my asthma went away. So most people interpret that and they say, they, Oh my God, I could never give up cheese. That's, you know, and the implication there is it's very restrictive. Now yeah. it is, it is. I restricted my factually in the food realm. I restricted my diet. Yeah. I gave up something. I stopped eating something and there it was, but in the quality of my whole life, I call it, I made a trade. I said, I'm going to give you dairy, but I'm going to get back no asthma. So the work I do is to is to frame clearly what you're doing these things for. If you're just trying to lose weight, you can fall into restriction and diet. It's a miserable. But if you say, I'm not restricting, I'm choosing this thing over here to nourish myself this way, to make myself feel better. I gave up dairy to feel better. So I traded it. I made a trade. If you are living in this restrictive, now I can't eat dairy you're going to fail. There's, you're setting yourself up for failure. If all you, if all you think about are the things you can't do right. and shouldn't do, I hate the word should, I shouldn't do that. Why? You're in charge. I can eat dairy today. I choose not to because it makes me feel better not to. And that's a trade rather than a restrictive mindset. You talk a lot about mott, which is not, uh, not a type of jelly that you're referring to. It, it, it can be. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mott is, is, it's funny because I, you know, I, I established that early on and it was sort of like, I find it effective, but I, but I figured it would be kind of a throwaway thing for most people. That yeah. is above all the thing that most people attach to and it is, and people love the most. Yeah. And what Mott, what Mott is just simply an acronym that says most of the time. What I hold is that your health and happiness are based on what you do most of the time. Yeah. And the reason I focus on that is because in the modern world, without context, we might read a diet plan and we got to pull that off 100% of times. We have we cannot stray. And the problem with that is we're holding on too tight. And if we try to do something 100%, you're again, you're going to drain your willpower and you're going to set yourself up for failure. Instead, if you go, it's what I do most, it's how I eat most of the time. What that does is two things. One, it establishes a lower stress way to live. And two, you don't sweat when you have something less than healthy because you don't care because it doesn't actually matter. Yeah. So in the in in the parenting realm, 
the way I look at Mott is if in general you are parenting in a calm, controlled way and you're talking to your kids and once in a while you lose your temper, who cares? Like you have a very successful, you're a very successful parent. But if you are yelling all the time, irritable all the time and pissed all the time, but, but you know, three days a year when you're on vacation, you're the (laughs) ideal parent. That's not a healthy model. You're most of the time isn't healthy. Same thing with eating. If you have a a, a salad once a week, that's great. That's not, that's not your most of the time. You're not going to, if that's the only healthy food you eat. Right. So it's most of the time focus on that because we let go of this idea of perfection and that we can't have one screw up. Of course, we're going to screw up. We're human. We all screw up. It doesn't, it's like, Yes, that's going to happen. So if you just go, hey, am I, is my, is my mott pretty good? Is my mott pretty good in my marriage? Am I, are most days good? Good. Because yeah. we don't focus on the one, the one day we had an argument, whoop-de-doo, we move on much faster that way. Uh, yeah, guest that I talked to recently was talking about the five to one ratio of positive to negative um, things in a relationship to keep the relationship healthy. And um, I think, yeah, it, it's a good demonstration, I guess, just it's not a, you know, a million to one ratio. It's not that you need to be all positive things, you know, it's five to one. Um, but yeah. it's definitely that there's a lot more positive than negative and that's it. Um, that, you know, most of the time things are good. And then every now and then, yeah, you're going to have an argument, you're going to have a fight, you know, whatever, there's going to always be speed bumps, but yeah, it uh, is backed up by research. So yeah, it is backed up by research. And I think it's funny that like when, when people sometimes will say like, I have the great marriage, we never argue. I'm always suspect of that marriage. I'm like, how can yeah, two right. human beings intimately connected and living together never argue? It probably means you're not communicating. Yeah. You, you know, it's like if you're Someone's two humans and you're something. That, yes, yeah. it's like you, we're not robots, you know, so something ain't right. If you're just like, we never argue. It's like, well, then I'm sorry for you because that means you're not on a deeper level, right? So yeah, it is. It literally is. It's science backed. It's it's um it's what you eat most of the time. People get worried about, oh my god, I had a giant junk food Tuesday night. I go, you think I like I'm a nutritionist, so they come to me like that's a failure. I go, good. I hope you had fun. Uh, yeah. How's your how's your mott doing? If you're not as healthy as you want to be, it ain't because of that one meal. Yeah, it's because of right, what you do right. most days. Make make adjustments there and leave the the one offs. Who cares? We don't sweat. I always say to my clients, I go, we don't sweat one offs. We don't sweat one offs. That those are just we let them go, right? Yeah. But you can use it as a cue to re-examine yourself and say, "Well, how how often have I have I been doing this a lot lately?" Or, "Yeah, is this really no? Really, this is just a one-off." Yeah, that's such a good point because when you're in a lower stress state, when you're not pressuring yourself and getting mad at yourself and beating yourself up because of one junk food meal or mm. one time you lost your temper with your kids, you never get a chance to examine. You're you're so in the zone of like judging yourself and getting mad at yourself that you don't even get to look at it critically and say, what were the reasons I did that? What were the circumstances around that? And that's how you grow and evolve as a human being is that you can examine the circumstances around your actions in a, when you're kind of more calm and you can say like, okay, I noticed when I lost my temper is because I wasn't eating well that day and I didn't sleep the night before. And I, and I was, you know, I didn't, I had my cell phone on me and I was all, you know, so on social media all day and I was irritable. Okay. Let me figure out how to make changes so that that doesn't happen as much, not a hundred percent of times, but if I can decrease the occurrences. Right. And that same thing goes with junk food and everything else. So is MOT basically the same thing as everything in moderation? 
Um, yes and no. Uh, it's it's mod is certainly in healthy habits for sure. I don't believe everything in moderation because I think there's ethical things that are at stake in how we live our lives yeah. and the choices that we make that aren't in moderation. And when I speak pre-COVID, when I would speak in, at, at events, I'd always kind of take to task the idea of everything in moderation because first of all, I don't know what moderation is for a given human being and another human being. But also I go, here's something I don't even do moderately. I don't kill people even in moderation. So it isn't everything in moderation. It is... Yeah. Certain things in the behavior realm, of course, you can moderate and not, you know, again, restrictive mindset, of course. But there's certain things we do and don't do not do, and it, we're not moderate about it. We're militant yeah, about right and right. wrong issues. All of us are. And so I've met people who accuse me of being militant around food, even though I always talk about I drink single malt scotch. So I don't know how militant around food I can be. Um, but yet I'll say, well, do you eat McDonald's? No, I never go to McDonald's. I go, okay, well, you got your lines too, yeah, baby. You know, so it's right. like, we, we all got our lines. You somehow you're okay with that militancy, but you're not okay. You know, like, so it just, it, to me, it's a mindset issue. It's like, start thinking and certain things you don't cross, certain lines you don't cross if they're, if they become ethical issues for you. And if they're not ethical issues for you, then yes, of course, find a balance that works for you most days so that you're, you're living a good life. Yeah. And those, if you believe in everything in moderation, then you are never have to draw your line in the sand anywhere That's right. or, yeah. uh, you know, decide what you believe in really, or what you stand for that. Yeah. It's know. all, it's all, it's all good. It's not all good for most people, yeah, you know, like it's not, yeah, I, 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 right. I do, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like living on principle is a, is a good way to live. It's a happy way to live. It's a, it's a powerful way to live, but it means you have to draw your lines and be conscious of those lines. Like you have to make an intentional decision like this. These are things I do and do not do. Um, I don't hit my kids. I'm militant about that. Right. Not in, even in moderation, you know, like that's I, my wife and I will never do. It's like, that's what we don't do. That's a militant stance. Yes, of course. But everything else, you know, we do the best we can and we're treating our kids the best we can, but we screw up and that's how it goes, you know? Here's a quote that I love from your book on page 67. Your success as a parent hinges on your ability to steal moments of recovery throughout your day, every day. That's a good quote. I'm not going to lie to you, Andy. That's a good quote. I like, um, no. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's what I, I call it stealing moments because I they're not handed to us. Yeah. And what I mean by this you is... You have to fight for them a little bit. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm a parent and my wife's my wife and I both are parents, obviously. Um, we both work full-time. You know, more and more parents I'm working with uh, work. You know, they're not being full-time parents. And even if they are being full-time parents, as if that's not stressful, right? So there is stress associated. For us to, and this, by the way, in the modern world period, for us to expect enough recovery time in chunks. In other words, I'm, in a, I'm with my kids six hours a day. I get so stressed. I deserve six hours of recovery time. Ain't going to happen because we also have jobs and we also have errands to do and things yep. to do around the house, laundry. And, you know, it's like the amount of laundry in my living room right now is, is evidence <laughs> enough. You know? and, so, and so, so it's like you, you, you have to, so my coaching to, for anybody, but in the Raising Healthy Parents book, to a more effectively parent is to find moments. Don't expect chunks of time, hours and hours of time to that you can sit and have a cup of tea in a hot bath. Ain't going to happen. Right. But if you steal a moment, if you're standing in line, if you're just waiting for your gas to pump in your car, take the moments when you can to take a deep breath, 
to recenter, to reground. There's a, one of my favorite comedians of all time. Of course, he made some bad decisions, but it was this guy, Louis CK, which most people have heard of, but he had a great bit years ago. And he goes, the time between when you put your child in the car seat and you buckle them in and you close their door, the time between that and when you walk around the front of the car to get in your side, he goes, that's like a carnival cruise. And I thought that is so, it's like that. And I had twins. Wow. So there were moments before I even heard that bit where I would buckle them in, in the car, get them all settled. They can't, they're in total safety. And I would close the doors and I would walk around the front of my car and I would literally go, oh, cause there was like that. I just need a moment of peace. Oh, those are the moments. Yeah. If we can steal more of those, we can be a little more balanced when we get with our, you know, with our family. So it is, it's finding, looking for moments, realizing that moments have value. Again, pumping gas in your car, standing in line for a coffee, being on hold for on a telephone, on telephone call, uh, you know, to find those moments to take some deep breaths, to just think about something positive to, you know, whatever, look for those moments because we want to be like, I'm in it and I need a big break. Well, most of us can't get a big break. We just don't get big breaks. We're, we're pretty busy at the end getting busier. You know, we used to be back in the day when it was, you know, worse, I think, but, um, you know, one income family could, could kind of manage it ain't that yeah. way anymore. Right. I mean, my wife and I both work full time and raising a family. It's brutal. We don't have childcare. We, you know, it's like, it's like what that is. And so to, again, to parent the way we want to means we have to take care of ourselves. And that goes for stealing moments too. Mm-hmm. I love that because it's so doable. It's not like this big grand thing that you have to do because I think so many times when we're trying to change in any way, we get caught up in how it has to be this big, huge undertaking and we have to do it all the way. Um, And I think this is really consistent with your whole approach of small steps. Yeah. Well, people come to me and they go, I'm a lot of clients come to me. They go, I'm an all or nothing person. I go, well, that usually means nothing. If, uh, if we look ahead, uh, yeah. for instance, people have used my approach to declutter their homes. Okay. So they walk in their house and they see junk everywhere and doors full of crap and just, you know, just clutter everywhere. And if they look at that and say, oh my God, that's going to take me 15 hours, 20 hours to get rid of, to get, and they won't do it. They just won't start. Whereas my coaching is like, what could you do starting today that you can do every day and there's no stress about it? And sometimes, and this has actually happened, sometimes people go, I'm going to get rid of two things per day. I go, good, let's start there, two things per day. So they walk in their house, they grab two things and they're done. If that never changes, in two months, they've gotten rid of 120 things, which is substantial. But usually what happens is the two things, when they get used to that. Yeah, I got that. I'm pretty good at the two things. I got after a week, you're like, hey, those two things. Easy peasy, right? Yeah. That's right. Three to four to five. So by one month, by one month, they're like decluttered. I mean, if you open your drawer and take out two, three things and put them in and just put them in the trash or in a donate box, you have no idea how much that equals, but people go, well, I, my house is so cluttered that that would just never work. So they end up doing nothing or they'll do, or they'll do a lot for a day. And they make great gains, but they don't stick with it. So what's the point? Then, then that stuff still stays there and it causes them stress. So you know, it takes a little bit of uh, cajoling on my part to go like, trust me, this works. But if you don't do any action, it will never work. That's a hundred percent. You know, so people come to me and they go, you know, I'm an all or nothing person. And I go, well, why aren't you on that diet that you were on two years ago? Because if you're not doing it, 
you know, and people go like, I don't exercise. I go, okay, well, let's do our small step. And then I go, let's do a two minute walk around the living room. That's going to, that's what do you think do about that? Go, that's right good. Now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Five, five, five pushups. There's your exercise per day. Right. And sometimes they'll say, but that doesn't do anything. I go, but you literally were doing nothing yesterday. Right. So it is doing something. It's yeah, starting yeah. the establishment of a habit and that's the power that will grow into 30 minutes of exercise. But if you take on too much and burn out, you'll do nothing. Here's a quote from Albert Schweitzer. Example is not the main thing in influencing others. It is the only thing. Yeah, I've qu- I, qu- I quoted him in that book and I quoted him in my brand new book okay. uh, as well because I think that's a great quote. Um, what I said at the beginning of this interview was that t- when parents take care of themselves, they get two benefits. One, mm. they get themselves feeling better and happier and they can then pull off whatever parenting style they, they have. Two, they set a really good example for their kids. And that is, I believe, more effective in raising kids than actually the words out of our mouths. It's not that yeah. the words out of our mouths don't make a difference. I don't totally agree with him that it's the only thing setting the example. Right. I do think it's what we say also, but I also think it's what, what they see. And if you see a parent who goes, go out and exercise and the parent's out of shape and never exercises, that's not going to go a long way. I mean, ultimately, and I, by the way, this is for adults too. This is for, this is for, this is for workplace. If the manager isn't setting the example, if the manager is chaotic and is expecting order, it doesn't translate. the the uh, the effectiveness and the environment of of a of an organization, including a family, comes from the top down. That is a fact. It's how human behavior works. If we are managed by somebody, in this case, the parent, that, what those parents' actions are or are not set the tone of that family. If a parent is irritable and angry all the time yeah. that will translate to the kids. I don't care how good, what, you know, how, how, what gift of gab they have and how great they talk. Right. So it, it's a, it's a little bit of a jagged pill to swallow for parents to, to fix themselves. Don't tell your kid to eat healthy until you know how to do it. Because when you try to do it and realize that there's struggles associated with it and you've overcome those, the kids get to see you overcome them. They get mm. to see that you're worth taking care of. They get to understand what that model is. They understand that, that self-care is important. They see that model and they see you become healthier and happier. They see that model too. They get to see what it's like to treat yourself well. And that's a, a super powerful uh, statement that a parent can make. We've been talking about stress. Um, it's kind of a theme throughout everything that you teach. And um, one thing that you talk about that I thought was interesting was you talk about how low levels of stress are helpful and can help us to change for the better, whereas when they get high, it causes us to plateau. Yeah, so what I mean by that is that is that too low stress is actually not healthy either. So what I call it is, I'm not the only one, but it's adaptive. It's called adaptive stress. And what that means is it's just enough stress to, to trigger adaptations in the body and mind to grow and evolve in response to that stress. So if there's too much stress, the body goes into actual stress mode, which is like, I just got to get through this. And so that's when you've got the raised heart rate and the raised blood pressure and the fat around the midsection and a weakened immune system and a weakened digestion. That's a a stress, a a too much stress response. Likewise, too little stress when you're doing nothing, when you're sitting on a couch also has very similar 
results in the body and mind, depression, uh, stagnancy, gaining weight, things that are in a also stress. So there is a, I call it in the new book, I call it in six truths, I call it the Goldilocks of stress. It's like this, mm. just the right amount of stress. Yep. We need it. You know, we don't, we love the idea of avoiding all stress, but it's not a good thing to sit and do nothing. Right. And yeah, so that right. goes for, th that goes for thinking too. I mean, the reason why they, they recommend crossword puzzles for elderly people and, and Sudoku and things like that is because the mind with not enough stimulation atrophies. Yeah. Right. And it's like, life, oh, what do I do? That's right. And likewise, the body physically atrophies with too little stimulation. Mm. So it is upon us in a world of technology where we don't have to do much where we can literally sit on social media all day, where we can have food delivered. We don't have to move our bodies to find food like we would in yeah, nature. Right. We have to make a conscious decision to engage in our lives. We have to make a conscious decision to keep learning things. We have to make a conscious decision to move our bodies. We have to make a conscious decision to feed our, our bodies and minds well. And so it takes effort. It takes hard work and there's no getting around that. We can't hack that. And so uh, when we let that go and just figure, okay, this is going to take time, we're, we're better off for it. We're here today with Sid Garza-Hillman talking about how you can improve the health of your whole family by taking small steps. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Man, if you try to make a shift in a family, a big overnight 180-degree shift in food, yeah. it's miserable. The whole idea is that you're avoiding burnout. You, the, you're avoiding uh, overwhelm. If you want to if you want your kids to exercise, a great small step is you take a walk with your child. But if you go, I don't have 30 minutes, don't do 30 minutes. Start with two minutes. Hey, let's go outside, walk down the block, and come back. Kids love that stuff. You know, I've been yeah. playing catch with my son. Like we got mitts, and I was like, let's go outside and play catch for five minutes. He loves it. He's 12. Mm. He's like, yeah, let's go play catch. We go play catch. We talk. He's talking. Yeah. We're chatting. It's, it's time with him. It's private time with him. It's talking with him and it's playing catch and it's fun. And it, I don't have to put anything on hold to go outside and play for five minutes with my son, but it means way more than that five minutes. So it's a way of looking at things and saying, what can we do? We want to let them eat whatever they want, but we want them to focus in school. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't feed your kids Captain Crunch in the morning and then get angry with them because they can't focus in school that day. I think that a lot of the discussion around teens and bodies is misguided. I'll be, I'll be frank with you. I think a lot of that discussion has to do with weight yeah. being fat and it's, and it's like either fat shaming or body positivity, you know, be okay with your body, no matter how it is. I think that's dangerous. I think that that's trying to create a false narrative. I think the discussion should be wholly about self-care, about self-kindness, about compassion, about nourishment. It should never be about weight loss. It should never be, you need to lose weight. Oh my God. I mean, my, you know, adults have a hard enough time with that. Yeah. It should never be to me about a parent saying, I empower my child to make their own food choices. I go, well, that's rich. You've just given away your job as a parent to a kid who isn't even fully developed in their brain. If you want a successful family and you want to raise kids that can take care of themselves, you have to be a parent. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening.